0: Hi, my name is Nicole Dan, and I'm an interview editor for the Georgetown Public Policy Review podcast. Recently, I had the chance to talk to some students who traveled to Iowa to observe the caucus and speak to voters. We talked about their experience of the caucus and the future of the primary, both this year and beyond. Can everybody just introduce themselves, uh, their name, their program at Georgetown, and what made them want to go to the Iowa caucuses?
1: Hi, I'm Kira McCauley. I'm a senior in the college um, studying government and education and Korean justice. Uh, and I wanted to go to the caucuses because I'm not sure I'll ever work for a campaign, although that might have changed after uh, the weekend that we spent in Iowa. Um, and I didn't know if I'd ever be able to experience it. And even if I do, I know I wouldn't be able to have the same connection and access that I would without geopolitics.
2: Hi, my name is Grace Shevchenko. I'm a sophomore in school foreign service studying international politics, and I was really excited to attend the trip in Iowa because it's, again, a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and I've never been to the Midwest before, so it was a really great chance to be able to see a different perspective going into politics, um, see what a different region of the country, how they act about politics um, and how they react about it as well.
3: Hi, I'm Jack Ryan. I'm a second-year Master of Public Policy student at the McCourt School of Public Policy. I did my undergrad at Miami of Ohio, and uh, I was really excited to be in Iowa uh, as someone that's graduating in May and getting to see all the different campaigns, the messaging that they're putting out, the way they're connecting with voters, and trying to get an idea of, as someone that wants to work on campaigns in the near future, uh, the kind of strategies that they that they use, and the opportunities that are available for people like me to get involved.
4: Hey, my name is Mackenzie Grimm. I go by Mackie. I'm a junior in the college, double majoring in government and linguistics. Um, I really wanted to go to Iowa because of all of well, what my previous um, Iowan trippers said, and their reasons. Um, it's just a once in a lifetime opportunity, and to be able to see something on the ground is very different, I think, than reading about it. And also, I went in pretty undecided about which Democratic nominee I wanted to support, and thankfully I came out uh, having, like, met some of the actual nominees, and um, now I think I, uh, I know who I'm voting for. Super Tuesday, Virginia. Woo!
5: Hi, I'm Grace Shu. I'm a freshman in the School of Foreign Service studying international politics. And I really wanted to go to Iowa just to experience um, the on-the-ground realities of what the caucus was like, how people actually move and decide um, on who they're voting for, and kind of just to speak with voters, but also journalists and campaign operatives and kind of see the different perspectives that shape the way people talk about politics in Iowa.
6: My name is Kelvin Doe. I'm a freshman in the college majoring in political economy, and the real big reason I went to Iowa was to see, like, different perspectives. Like, I'm a Texan, so Texans are really into their Texas politics. So I wanted to see what's the Midwest like and really talk to people and wonder what they were like and what they cared about. I also wanted to talk to some people on the ground because I'm interested in campaigning and see what's the strategy like and what do you think about.
0: Can you talk a little about your experience before the Iowa caucus?
2: Um, So in the few days leading up to the Iowa caucuses, while we were on the ground in Iowa, we actually spent a lot of time camping out in um, the lobby of the Marriott Hotel in downtown Des Moines. Um, And in that area, there were about every single political operative came through. um, And so with our connections through geopolitics um, and our executive director, um, we were able to pull aside a lot of really impressive journalists, um, campaign operatives, and just people there to report on what was happening in Iowa. So we got to hear a lot of the inside scoop before everything went down on Monday night. And then we also spent time visiting rallies of different candidates, um, seeing as many candidates as we possibly could um, in a few days, and then seeing as many ground operations as we could. We were able to visit Pete Buttigieg's ground operation and see and talk to some of the people that were um, going door knocking for him and, and see how they went about interacting with other voters or caucusers um, and seeing how they were trying to get
6: um, get out the caucus. What I really liked doing before the run up to the caucus was asking people about their opinions. So obviously, you know, when you go to the Pete campaign office, what they're going to talk about. But I liked hearing the different reasons for why they support him, because like I was really iffy on all the candidates, kind of. And it's great to see like the people down there in Iowa defend their candidates. And I feel like in a caucus environment, people come better prepared with arguments for, like, this is why this person's the best. And I think that was a really great experience.
0: Were you able to speak to voters? What was on their mind? And how did they feel about the results reporting problems that they had?
3: We got to talk to a variety of Iowans, both at campaign events or, honestly, in the Marriott Hotel lobby, or just as we were going door knocking and and seeing just, you know, a random sample of registered Democrats. And getting an idea of what's on their mind it seems like the number one thing. Really, is who can beat Donald Trump? There are these large, you know, ideological considerations about more liberal policies, more conservative policies. But it seems like at the end of the day, from what I gathered from Iowans, it's really about who can win in November and who they feel can take it take it all the way. So at the caucus, I I kind of made it a point to
6: go up to all of the different camps and ask them, what are your biggest reasons for supporting this person. And what I've noticed is that for the Bernie supporters, they were really emphasizing his consistency. The Warren supporters, the first thing they said is that we need a woman president. And the second thing they said is that she has a plan. And they really like that aspect of her. Biden supporters also mentioned that he has a lot of stuff he's gotten past and he is incredibly electable. And the Buttigieg supporters were talking about how he can speak to the Midwest and how he spoke to them as a younger american so those are just general threats
2: um regarding the um election debacle we actually left um iowa at 5 a.m on tuesday morning so the results had actually not been reported yet um so we were in the airport still checking our phones every second, and we were on a flight with a lot of other reporters b- going back to D.C., um, and basically everyone was buzzing with what was happening and kind of impatiently waiting to see the actual results, um, and very little had been reported at that point, so we weren't able to actually speak to any Iowans about it. But, yeah, so the the debacle was unfortunately something that we had to leave <laughs> without.
4: Yeah, unfortunately we didn't get to actually speak to any Iowans um, post-caucus time. But I can imagine just from, like, talking to them that a lot of them must have been, like, kind of frustrated with the whole system, and, you know, it was completely out of their hands. But the Iowans, from what I gathered, and, like, just from talking to, you know, voters and um, campaigners on the ground, they're very proud of being, you know, the first in the nation to have this say in the primaries, and the caucuses are something very important to them, and they really hold on to that. So I think a lot of the backlash that's been coming out of Iowa is understandable not necessarily that there's one specific person to blame but it's understandable so
0: a lot of people say that voters from Iowa feel a unique sense of responsibility in being the first in the nation did you experience this and what do you think about reforming the primary and caucus schedule for them to not be first
1: so one of the things that we heard on the ground a lot while we were in Iowa is the importance of caucusing versus uh, a primary, like where you go into a room and you vote privately. In a caucus, you need to publicly support your candidate. You, campaigns need to mobilize support on the grounds to do well in Iowa. Um, and from what we heard from a lot of you know, caucusers themselves, is this is really a party-strengthening exercise, and it brings a different type of strength to a campaign, also to the Democratic Party, um, than voting in a primary would. That being said, I think a lot of people are frustrated with, with how it turned out. The few Iowans that we talked to in the airport um, were, were worried about losing their first in the nation status. And like, hold on to that dearly and say that If you can't do well in Iowa you're not going to do well beyond um, and you're not going to be able to move your campaign forward throughout
5: um, the rest of the states. I think more than ever before um, the whole system of the caucuses is being challenged and that question is becoming more prominent even though the debate will probably continue for another four years at least but I think in general it would be a very big change if it were to move away from Iowa because almost an entire economy has been built around The caucus being in Iowa, whether it's been like the hotels where people are staying, whether it's like restaurants or places, venues for um, campaign rallies to happen at. And so really the whole culture in Iowa around this time of year, every four years, is centered around the caucuses. And so if anything were to change, it would be um, a really important and significant development in politics.
4: Uh, So going in, I was pretty critical of the prospect of Iowa, a Midwestern, you know, fairly Rural, conservative, and um, may I say white state going first in the nation and narrowing down the candidate field for, you know, who might be our next president. Um, Just because I, you know, as a person of color, like, don't really know that much about, you know, what white communities know or how much they consider about us. But a lot of the canvassers that we met, especially like in the Pete Buttigieg campaign, they had expressed how they like they knew that this position that they've taken up is something like very critical and that they need to be open-minded. But even like a few years ago when marriage equality was still a very big um, problem and it was being debated amongst the states, like Iowa was one of the first states that legalized marriage equality. And a lot of the people that I talked to on the Buttigieg campaign had expressed that like, you know, even if you don't support it, like you should support someone's right to do what they want you know it's their life and they have they they should be able to live them like how they want to just because they're different from us different from iowans or just because they're you know a different color race sexuality whatever i think that they should be able to you know have a say um and so we don't feel like we should make that choice for them and i thought that was very um compelling So to what extent are results from Iowa and New
0: Hampshire, two very white states, extrapolatable to the rest of the country?
2: I think one thing that I noticed in Iowa was that citizens didn't just think about their own self-interest, which I think usually people are doing when they're voting, particularly in a primary where it's a private ballot. Because citizens had to publicly declare their support for candidates, they thought not just of what would help their community, improve, but also policies that would help the nation as a whole, which I was really impressed by, the the sense of civic duty that Iowans took about the caucus. Regarding this year's caucus results, I think because of the delay in results, the impact of the Iowa caucuses lost a lot of momentum going forward. So even though certain campaigns came out on top, they didn't necessarily get as much of the boost to their campaigns that a campaign would normally get by winning in Iowa, um, so I think that had a big impact. Um, I think New Hampshire also um, they they do have similar issues, being um, similar demographics. They they are different in like levels of education. I think the different states, so in in that regard, they represent different regions of the country, which have definitely different issues that impact them directly. So I think they do by region. Um, can can speak to a different aspect of America, but um, there is always the issue of lack of diversity, and and th- those issues will always be present.
3: Yeah, I I don't know if there is a serious validity when it comes to you know taking Iowa and New Hampshire. I think the fact that they have precedence creates you know I mean in terms of like the calendar uh, to the rest of the primaries allows them to winnow out the field a little bit, and you can start to see how. I believe 76% of the United States is white, 90% of Iowans are white. That's a pretty big chunk, but I don't think it plays—I don't think that you can extrapolate that on a matter of diversity and how diverse voters, which I believe is about 40% of the Democratic Party, uh, can really— uh, how how you can expect them to turn out in, in November?
5: I think the um, one of the biggest takeaways we got from, especially the Biden campaign, but what a lot of other campaigns have touched on, is not looking at Iowa or New Hampshire in isolation, but also the significance of South Carolina and Nevada, because South Carolina is known for having a larger Black voter base, and um, Nevada definitely has a larger Hispanic voter base. And so um, I think what I think at this point, what the Biden campaign is really um, leaning on is having a more diverse electorate being represented in the early states and so that definitely plays a factor.
3: I'm actually writing something for GPPR right now about ways to reform Iowa what it's we we may have actually witnessed the last Iowa caucus (laughs) as we as we know it uh, this year and one major way that I feel we can improve the system and address some of that diversity issue is moving Nevada up to the same day as Iowa they can still be you know virtually the first, they can both still be virtually the same election of the cycle for the Democratic Party. But given the fact that Nevada is a more diverse state, um, apply to more of that, uh, apply to more of the Democratic Bar- Party's base, uh, and we can start to be able to actually extrapolate that a little bit better. Um, and if the whole argument that Iowa should go first is that it takes a really long time to count up how ha- caucuses go and continue to go up the ladder in the different caucuses that they have. I don't understand why two weeks makes a big difference for Nevada. (laughs) They might as well just be on the same day.
0: So the Iowa caucuses happened around the time of the impeachment trial, which meant a lot of the people running who were senators couldn't be there. How do you think that impacted the Iowa caucus, and what were
1: voters thinking about that? So the impeachment trial actually affected our trip directly. We were planning on going to Bernie's rally the first night that we were in Iowa, but unfortunately Bernie couldn't make it back to his own rally because he was in DC all day on Friday. And we saw this in a few different campaigns. We saw this in in Bernie's campaign. Elizabeth Warren actually did make it to her rally that night, but she came so late that we didn't even consider attending because I don't think she got there until like 11 PM local time. And we had been there, you know, just a matter of hours. But we saw the campaigns, especially with the senators, use different strategies that week leading up to the caucus to engage voters and keep like the, keep the voters' minds on those candidates. For example, Amy Klobuchar's campaign talked about how she was taking interviews during breaks from her office in D.C. to be broadcasted on local television in Iowa. Um, she also would like get on a plane right after she was finished um, in chambers and make out to Iowa and actually go visit voters um, kind of late night, as it kind of rushed together, uh, created an, an event in four hours um, to make sure that she was still doing stuff on the ground, and worked harder, frankly, than, than many of the other candidates um, in terms of getting back to Iowa and, and making sure that she was still having a presence there. Again, with, with Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, they, they made it back on Friday night uh, as fast as they could. But realistically, they lost a lot of time on the ground and time in Iowa is the most important thing for a candidate leading up to the caucus. Uh,
6: Definitely something I noticed when I was talking to like voters on the ground is that unless I brought up impeachment, impeachment was like not an issue they brought up. So I'm not really sure—I know for sure, like like Kira said, it definitely affected how the campaign was operating. I'm not really sure whether it affected voter perceptions.
0: So after Iowa, Pete Buttigieg and Sanders were kind of the front runners. How do you think that the Iowa caucus has shaped the Democratic field?
4: I feel like Pete got a lot of momentum from the results in Iowa as they, you know, gradually trickled in. Um, even though he, like, prematurely, you know, declared that victory, I think he used that to— keep going with his energy in New Hampshire. And um, I'm pretty sure if the results had ended up differently in Iowa, then he would have been lower down in the rankings in New Hampshire as well.
3: I think another important thing to consider is that like a month ago, this was supposed to be like a slugfest between Biden and Bernie Sanders. And maybe it's because we're so in the loop with the political cycle. But Joe Biden coming in fourth in Iowa just completely started this decline that we saw followed up by a fifth place. Uh, finish in New Hampshire and basically set himself on betting his campaign on South Carolina from what we can tell right now. I think it really changed the entire layout of this race and set Bernie Sanders at the front. And right now it seems like people are trying to become that alternative voice or alternate uh, choice for people that don't want to take the ultra-liberal route
2: yeah i think going into the iowa caucuses um, it was considered the most muddled race ever and but i think actually leaving it it was actually more muddled than before we were talking about having kind of maybe three or four front runners um, but having Buttigieg actually coming first in iowa kind of threw everything off biden again coming in fourth people just weren't expecting it especially the rest of the nation um and i think voters down the line who have a later voting date for primaries are a little more confused as to who really has the momentum or the opportunity to to not only win the democratic primary but then to actually be the most electable and i think that message of electability has has gotten a lot more muddled just because of how close the race has become
1: I think the other story about Iowa is really how many people finished in still strong standing. Uh, wherein in or cycles past, we've had kind of like one person come clearly in front um, and claim a victory in Iowa. Uh, this year, having um, both Pete and Bernie come very close together and then also Elizabeth Warren and Biden not too far behind, Klobuchar not too far behind them, we have this field that's really divided, and it's not divided really amongst the moderates and the liberals. I mean, it's a false dichotomy, in in my opinion, based on what we saw. Uh, At our caucus site specifically, we still had four strong groups come in with viability um, after the second alignment, uh, one of which wasn't even on the ticket. (laughs) Cory Booker actually won a delegate at our caucus site. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, Which is kind of crazy to think about, but I think, Really looking at this year's cycle, um, having so many people still in the running for the nomination, uh, going into Super Tuesday specifically, is going to make it a really interesting turnout. Who wins in Super Tuesday could be three different candidates, uh, and that's something that we haven't necessarily seen before.
6: I definitely think this contest uh, is going to change the way people think about momentum in Iowa for contests coming in the future, because we have two new things here. We have the fact that the results came late, and we have the Bloomberg element. And being in Iowa, it made me think, wow, Michael Bloomberg actually has a chance, because usually things are decided after Iowa, after New Hampshire, after the first few like contests. Now it isn't so you have a chance to win in a later state so i feel like it's possible to skip iowa now and now that people see that it's going to change the power it has
5: i think adding on to that um the way that there wasn't so much of a clear winner and also immediately uh really made it so that the rest of the race no candidate can take an electorate for granted and especially in the case of like south carolina or nevada which we'll see in the next few weeks and also Super Tuesday, um, when a candidate like Pete, when people like him but are not necessarily sure if he's electable, by having him do very well in Iowa, in the same way that Obama kind of changed people's perceptions by doing well in the early states, can actually shape the way um, and the confidence that voters have to actually choose a candidate based on their electability.
2: I also think one important thing to add is that The turnout in Iowa was actually really low this year. In 2008, I think it was vastly higher. And so part of that is citizens really aren't sure who is going to be the most electable and who's going to come out. So a lot of people I think have been dissuaded in the early states from participating because they're just really not sure, A, who could possibly win um, in the end, or be who like actually has a shot even in the early states going forward because again there's no one with clear momentum so there's no one to like firmly cast your ballot towards unless you're really really passionate about one specific candidate which I I think a lot of voters in Iowa weren't super passionate about a specific candidate we talked to a lot of people that were just by nature of going to people's on-the-ground operations to to meet the people that were actively campaigning for candidates, and then going to the caucus site and speaking to the people who were leading the different candidates' um, groups. So I really do think a lot of people are still very unsure about who they plan on voting for, and I think that showed by how little turnout there was this year.
0: So with the next caucus coming up in Nevada, we have the Bloomberg element, Even though he wasn't on the ballot in Iowa and New Hampshire, he actually got more votes than Deval Patrick in New Hampshire, who was on the ballot um, through write-ins. So now that he is an element uh, and he was in this debate this week, how has that changed what you think about the Democratic race and the candidates?
1: Um, If the race wasn't muddy enough already, we now have a wrench thrown into the whole mix, uh, and that is like Mike Bloomberg as someone who can— entirely fund his own campaign and fund his campaign at like multiples of of what other campaigns can afford to spend, Um, I think he's just like a huge wild card, especially for Nevada, especially for South Carolina. Even though he might not be written on the ticket, people can still uh, cast their votes for him. Um, And especially moving into Super Tuesday, where he's spending uh, money where, frankly, other campaigns can't afford to be um, using resources right now. I think even though he wasn't uh, a huge presence in Iowa, he's going to be a huge presence in this this race moving forward. We can't ignore Bloomberg.
4: <laughs> I really think the debate in Nevada that we just saw really shook things up for Bloomberg. I mean, if you even want to call it a debate, um, it was more of just, like, everyone else ganging on Bloomberg for, you know, being the outsider, um, for being, you know, the billionaire that doesn't necessarily have to play by the same rules as all the other candidates. Um, before that, his presence was mainly through, like, commercials and stuff and in those you can really focus on your platform points your main objectives you know you can control the conversation and what's being sold to the viewer but in the debates as we saw um, there was a lot of you know backlash against him and I think that might put a little dent in a uh, the progress that he's been making.
6: So quick little anecdote so I was just like buying my own business in my room and all of a sudden my sister texts me And it's about like one month back and she's saying there's people all over my campus telling me to register to vote who do I vote for and she's like should I vote for Sanders or Warren and I asked why do you think it's time to vote and why do you want to vote for Sanders and Warren so in Texas we have to register two months early so that's why they're asking and she said I wanted to vote for the two people I know and I realize if you're outside of like politics like unlike we are we're just like so deep in the system we don't understand that <laughs> we don't understand that like regular people oh my god they're just seeing ads or they're just hearing word of mouth so i feel like that bloomberg element the ads element is stronger than any debate for- performance could ever be
0: so today is the nevada caucus does anyone have any predictions
3: um for nevada We're gonna see Bernie Sanders coming out on top. And even though a lot of the polling that I've seen has him with a pretty substantial margin, I think it's gonna be less than eight points. (laughs) I think he's gonna win, clearly. I think it's gonna be like, honestly, probably like a five point lead over Pete, very close with Warren, and then everyone else is gonna be a pretty far step behind. And I don't think it's gonna be good for the future of senator klobuchar's campaign i'd say that's my nevada prediction
1: if we learned anything from the past two primary contests it's that polls are deceiving and not always uh an accurate representation of what's going to happen uh when people actually go turn out to vote um i think although bernie sanders will still come on top i don't think his lead in the polls will will reflect in um, the actual voting turnout, especially with uh, the Culinary Union having not um, endorsed anyone, but been very against his campaign kind of for a while now, um, that has a huge strength in the caucuses, especially in Las Vegas um, for today. And I, and I think it'll be really interesting to see how it turns out.
0: So as students who self-selected to go on a trip to Iowa, you must have already been politically engaged and informed. What did actually being in Iowa teach you about the electoral process or our political system?
2: I think it's interesting to see how much the the electoral system impacts the result of the election by nature of having a caucus that, that you have to, again, publicly declare your support for a candidate. You have to go out of your way to go to at a specific time at 7 p.m. on one night, um, and you have to be there for the entire caucus until – your candidate reaches viability, or you decide to leave. Um, and you have to be there at seven p m on time. You have to find babysitting or take a take off from your shift or or any number of things that may be um, inhibiting that. I think it's interesting to see the the people that come out in different processes um and how a primary system may benefit people. Um, who prefer to have a private ballot? We were speaking to someone, to one of our Uber drivers actually, who was saying how he would not go um, and caucus because he was a musician and his political beliefs didn't necessarily align with the community in general. And he um, kind of didn't want to be at odds with that community. So he preferred to wait until the general election to vote. And he was clearly very politically. Um, educated and aware of everything that was happening, but he said um, that was a, a a barrier from participating. Um, so it was it was really interesting to see the different processes. I'm from a primary state in Pennsylvania, um, so so you really and it's, and it's a closed primary state. Also, in Iowa, there were people who were. Um, registered Republicans who are coming, um, changing their registration day of to vote in the Democratic primary for a, a variety of reasons. But that's not something that you can do in Pennsylvania um, as easily. So these different aspects of like really minutia rules um, have have such a big impact that um, it's, it's interesting to see play out.
3: I think the thing that I learned the most about our electoral process, or maybe that I was just reminded of, is just like as Grace was saying, this like the humanity aspect of it. And while, you know, GU Politics sent us on this amazing trip where we got to talk to these really, uh, really, really high up officials in the GOP like Kevin McCarthy or in uh, the Democratic Party, like actually getting to meet Pete Buttigieg or Amy Klobuchar, some of the most formative conversations we had were with Uber drivers or with people who were knocking doors or people who were, you know, working restaurants or hotels and actually getting to hear like the things that they care about um, and the things that will either send them to or propel them to or keep them at home when it comes to the ballot box. Um, I remember when we were at the Elizabeth Warren rally, I talked for like 15 minutes with this farmer who um, I don't believe had gone to college, but had spent a lot of time studying international relations because trade deals affect his livelihood pretty pretty significantly and you know when you go just up to these people and you break the way that you've been thinking about them a lot of times in certain you know categories or certain you know just uh, sections of their jobs or their livelihoods or their demographics and you actually get to have a conversation with them and realize that that's the thing that you have to unlock to really get someone to support you or to vote I think that that's just a really powerful aspect of this whole process that we sometimes take for granted
5: I think the energy on the ground is huge um, in terms of like you can read all you want about politics I mean I get like newsletters every day from the New York Times, from the Washington Post, and it's all about the election, about what's happening in Iowa. But when you're on the ground, you really see what campaigns are doing effectively that might not always be conveyed in the news. So, for example, for me, what was huge was how demographically diverse Pete's rallies were in terms of they drew from all walks of life, all backgrounds, all races. um, And it was just The energy that he was able to summon was just amazing compared to whereas you hear about how Warren on paper has the most organized canvassing operation and how that contrast really is ultimately reflected in the results but on the ground you see it happening.
1: The other really interesting thing that I think we learned when we were on the ground is at least I went in expecting to, you know, speak to some high-profile political operatives and and hear their takes, so I would know what's going to happen on Monday. Like I went in thinking, oh, they know what's going on. We'll talk to them. We'll have a better idea of what's going on. The truth is, is none of them really know what's going on. The only way that you can figure out what's going to happen ahead of the caucus is if you talk to voters. Um, and that's something that we got to experience on the ground. That frankly, a lot of the reporters didn't even get to experience because they weren't going into the communities that we were going into. Um, I think that's also a reflection on just, like, how we consume media as well. Uh, What we hear on the media is produced within a certain group of people. It's not always engaging deeply um, into, like, the, quote, regular people's lives. And I think that we got to see that on the ground, and that's why we could predict ahead of the caucus better than some of the polls and better than some of the media um, what might happen. Uh, Actually, some of our predictions were pretty accurate uh, in terms of who who won, Um, and that wasn't something that we were seeing on TV. I
2: think adding to that... um While we were talking to journalists, I think a lot of them emphasized kind of the narrative that they were seeking to tell. Um, And they were talking to different people, talking to reporters, but ultimately they were trying to tell a story. Um, And I think that impacted how they were reporting Iowa. They wanted to either make it this big ideological battle between um, the progressive part of the Democratic Party and the more moderate part. Um, But in reality, um, that's not necessarily how we saw it by being on the ground. Um, It wasn't through these grand stories that um renowned journalists were trying to tell which is more interesting I think from a reader's perspective which you see back home when you're not on the ground um but but we didn't necessarily see it from their um perspective or their narrative's perspective um especially when we would talk to them for maybe 20 minutes one day and then the next day talk to voters and be like oh I actually disagree with the direction that they're taking their article in and and you don't necessarily have the freedom to do that when you're not on the ground talking to voters every five minutes, because um, you only have the opportunity to read um, the articles that journalists are coming up with. So I think that um, perspective and that duality was really interesting.
3: A little bit off topic, but I also, something I really gained from this trip was a really deep appreciation for reporters. Um, so we met with uh, CNN's Jeff Zeleny a couple times during the trip. Once I believe the first time we met him was at the Amy Klobuchar rally on that Saturday night. And We saw him pretty periodically at different rallies throughout the course of the um, Throughout the course of the weekend, but I remember that on Monday night we had already run into him once during the day He then was at our caucus site walking around doing interviews for for CNN and then like two and a half hours later We bumped into him on the street getting ready to go do another another uh, press hit and then at three in the morning while laying on the couch in our airbnb like half awake just trying not to go to sleep before our flight so that i wouldn't have to wake up i remember seeing him on tv like doing another press hit and then when we were in the airport like 10 minutes before our plane boarded, he was on cnn again it was just like between meeting with him meeting with jake tapper and a lot of the people that we got to meet at fox news on on that monday like you just understand the amount of effort and the amount of work and the amount of just sheer research and focus that you have to put in to be good at that job and to really try to give what you get the story right. Um, so yeah, that was one thing I really gained from that experience.
6: So going into this, like I mentioned how I want to see what type of people work on a campaign and going into that hotel, I I haven't gotten like a cohesive idea of what they're like they they come from so many different walks of life they have so many different personalities and they're just like i think something they all have in common is that frankly they're all kind of crazy because like who picks up their life decides i'm gonna go with my boyfriend go to, or just like by myself i'm gonna fly all the way to this random state in the middle of america and then i'm gonna do all of this in the hopes that this one person will be the next president and sacrifice all of this. I think only a crazy person could do that to be honest. And I know, I kind of like feel those vibes too, so I guess I might be crazy. But you definitely see it's a lot of crazy people working behind these campaigns. And I think that human element is kind of what I like to see there too.
4: I would just like to say props to Iwans themselves for being able to put on a caucus because what I didn't know going in was that, you know, the DNC has nothing to do with organizing the caucus. It's all, you know, at the state level, and it's all mainly volunteers. So each precinct, you know, needs, like, a precinct captain. Regular people have to volunteer to take that position, and that is a lot of responsibility. So I really – I just admire um, the Iowans for, you know, dedicating themselves to learning about, you know, which candidates stand for, you know, which policies and, you know, what – Um, where they think they align and also taking into consideration you know how other voters might be affected by their decision. Thank you all for coming. I'll
3: throw in one more thing before we stop recording and that's just that we're all super grateful for geopolitics and for McCourt for being able to have this kind of an experience for us all to go on really probably one of the highlights I've had in my graduate school career and uh, that everyone's had here at Georgetown so thank you to everyone involved with that.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to emphasize how grateful we are for this experience as well. I will be entering the classroom next year as a teacher and I hope that I can bring my experience from this one um, this one weekend from this one primary contest and show my students kind of like what they can be involved in too and emphasize the importance of civic responsibility. And I think that this trip has really like allowed me to bring even more to their to their classroom experience as well
0: thanks everyone for coming thank you for listening to the georgetown public policy review podcast i hope you enjoyed our conversation if you enjoyed this podcast please subscribe and check out more from georgetown public policy review at gppreview.com
6: thank you